covering all your favorite parts of the 50-yard fight. This is the Inside the Walls podcast with Zach Heilman and Jim Bernier. Welcoming in fans of the 50-yard fight. This is the Inside the Walls podcast. Zach Kyleman in here, as always, bringing in for the latest edition of the show as we are now in NAL Rebound Week 3, talking about two exciting clashes across the National Arena League this week against a lot of top opponents coming in, a lot of uh, a lot of fascinating storylines coming in and now leaving this slate of games heading into week four. I'm going to start bringing in my crew in for this game, my good old buddies. First off, of course, my good buddy pal, the co-host himself, the, the graphics guy, the man of the hour, the guy that puts all this stuff together, Jim Mernier, and, of course, former NAL MVP quarterback himself, Mason Espinoza, joining the show for this edition of NAL Rebound. Gentlemen, welcome aboard. Uh, Jim Good to good to see you, man. How you how you feeling? Sharks get a really really exciting win over at the Crown Coliseum. Things all things considered, how, how you doing so far? Um, doing good. Um, doing great. Uh, Connor's the best quarterback in the league. Um, I didn't say that. Um, but yeah, I'm sure we, you didn't. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's it was a good weekend. Exciting. Um, again, another weekend in the NAL where there's no controversy, no drama. Uh, so it, it's great. It's a week three. It was a very simple, easy weekend. Uh, but yeah, it's a good weekend. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, without a doubt. Mason, you probably feel great for Coach Gibson there. Uh, pretty, a pretty back and forth affair, of course, that we'll talk about shortly. But you know, he gets out the win and they're two and one looking like one of the most imposing teams right now in the National Arena League. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm pumped for him. I know, you know, just you break this the season up in kind of segments. I knew through that that first four game stretch, if they can come out of that three and one, I knew they would be, they'd be set up for some success there. So I know he's excited about it. I'm sure and they played well. They played really well. Yes, they did. And we're going to be jumping into this one to kick things off again, people. We generally jump in two games this weekend. We'll talk about some observations here about this week's games. Uh, something of course, as we brought up, in the, uh, I think the preliminary observations, close games for the most part. Yes, I know the score at the end in Fayetteville was a was a decisive twenty point victory, but all in all, you know there were some factors there that kept things apart. These were two, these were four teams that I think you know all of them showed themselves that they can keep up with anybody in this league, or that these are the best of the best. Fayetteville, of course, has a bit of a caveat now. We got the status of Rakeem Cato. We'll talk about that a little bit more momentarily in that game recap, of course. But um, top-tier football played this week. I thought it was mostly clean, besides one or two things we'll be debating on. And honestly, we know without a doubt who I think the tops in this league are um, in this slate. Carolina might have a say, but... You can't argue when all these guys are playing at their best, you're going to be guaranteed that it's going to be hard to even see who can end up on top, at least in the top two or three. Well, top two or three this year, in my opinion, uh, I think, I know it's only week three, but you're clearly seeing the top three teams in the league right now. Mm -hmm. So far from week three, uh, San Antonio and Albany lived up to the billing. And the only thing I got to say is I can't wait for the rematch later in the year in San Antonio. Um, Jacksonville started is starting to show what type of team they are, uh, especially with a young quarterback filling his um, gaining experience. A homeboy leads the league in passing right now. I think he leads the league in touchdowns too. Uh, yes, almost every offensive category he leads. So Gibson has found him a gunslinger. Um, 
uh, he's much younger than Mason here. But uh, call. I'm not giving him a call again. I got my. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, phone's a little dry right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, but overall, uh, especially in, in the Fayetteville, that game was neck to neck to the halftime until uh, some injuries happen on Fayetteville side. Hopefully all the players uh, get back well soon and fast because Fayetteville had a scrappy squad. Um, and when they're healthy, they're pretty dangerous. And they showed it two weeks ago in Orlando and they showed it again against Jacksonville in the first half until it started to get away from them in the second half. But there were a lot of situations that were outside the control of the Sharks that you know, affected Fayetteville, but Cato was doing Cato things. He, uh, he was so far, in my opinion, the most improved quarterback from last year until what happened later in the game. But yeah, a good weekend. Of course, up in Albany was an exciting game. That was back and forth. What you expected blow after blow Casanova versus Nelson. It was a pretty good game. Um, Darius Prince versus Kylie Rashad. Well, we did how we hyped it last week and lived up to the billing. Um, yeah, it just, it stinks that one side, has to lose a game, and usually the one side that loses the game is the most vocal um, fan base. It's the joy of sports. It's well, I think in I think in this matchup, and Mason, you can keep on going with this, but clearly with that that one in particular over in the Capital Region, I mean, it comes down to the wire with one play left. I, I would be shocked if you weren't a fan that at least had something to say at the final play, especially. And again, we'll we'll dive deeper into this, especially the way the circumstances were that surrounded. That ending, we'll talk about the ruling of that ending. But I mean, if you're a fan of if you're a fan of the Empire and if you were the gunslingers and lost on that last possession and thought you were wronged by something like that, I would be I'd be crying foul because I'm a passionate fan, not because I'm saying it's wrong, but because I'm a passionate guy and I'm going, oh no, that this, they, they totally screwed us in some way. It, that that's it feels like it. I mean, we see it in college football, NFL, it happens all the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's. You know, it. you don't want that call to take away from how good of an arena football game was played, honestly. It's, it's a tough call. It was the way it ended. I can 100% see where Albany comes from. I know we'll dive into it later. But at the end of the day, it's arena football, man. And it's going to come down to – it's what this game's designed for, to come down to, to last possessions and last plays of the game and who can control the clock, right? We're going to talk about that with, with, with San Antonio's coach doing an unbelievable job with the clock. And same thing with – Jacksonville and Fayetteville, they were, you know, trading. They were dueling scores for a minute there until Cato got hurt. And that's what arena football is all about. I think this weekend, first of all, shout out to the NAL for playing the games at different times. I appreciate that. Didn't, yeah. didn't feel like I was drinking water through a fire hose. I could actually watch the game a little bit, each <laughs> one. But, uh, you know, they were good games. And I think that's something fun to see, especially early, is there's a lot of parity right now in the sense that there's good games. I think really – like even West Texas, Carolina played obviously a good game. Fayetteville's played some good games. Obviously, San Antonio's won three games by a combined four points. Really, the only team that hadn't played in kind of a kind of a knockdown dragout game right now is Orlando, who you expected more out of. Everyone else has been in close football games so far, so it's that's good to see. It's healthy for the league and fun to see for fans like me. Absolutely. Let's dive into some of this incredible action while we're at it. We'll save the game of the week for last, so some of you will. Probably be like, why are we jumping it forward and then coming backwards? It's okay. We'll, we'll, don't worry. Stick with us. We'll give you everything you need. But let's dive in. First things first. As again, got to give a shout out to Jim. He's been putting these together these last two weeks of these highlight reels. Because you guys responded really well to these. So here's the deal. We got this coming up here. Sharks, Fayetteville Mustangs. Honestly, until the third quarter, until we saw 
the uh, signal caller himself, Rakeem Cato, have to go out with a lower leg injury. I didn't know exactly who was going to walk away with this one. There was a hint that maybe the to me that the possession battle would switch over thanks to a uh, Justin Carter fumble recovery uh, also in the third quarter that gave the Sharks back that one touchdown advantage, at least in terms of possessions. But these two offenses, you know, it was neck and neck. Mason, you probably got some flashbacks with the fact that first half, it was one score plays, bam, bam, bam for Fayetteville, just instantly. Quick shots downfield. All right, time for the defense to come back out. Oh, my God, we got to go over again and deal with <laughs> Connor Blount. But, I mean, overall, like, some quality play. It's just too bad that, to me, some of it came down to having to come to an inexperienced QB at the end that also helped seal the deal. Great defense by Jacksonville, in my opinion, to get that fumble recovery and switch things over because there was none of none to little of it going throughout this entire one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm just I'm sorry, I'm transfixed by the highlights here just because you know, seeing some <laughs> of this here. The uh, you know, it's fun to it's fun to watch this condense a little bit. I thought uh you know, coming away from it, I was impressed by Fayetteville. I just was. I, I'm, you know, Orlando's got a long way to go. I know that, you know, they beat Orlando. I was curious to see how they stack up with a team like Jacksonville that knows a good football team. Uh, and, man, the offenses came out, and that's what it's designed for. That's what this game's designed for. That's why they went to Ironman rules, right? So you can have these games, and it's 34, 34 at halftime or whatever it is. Uh you know, I, I love to see Jacksonville. You know, I, I know Coach Gibson, I would imagine at this point, thinks really highly of this young quarterback, and, and rightfully so. I know the first couple of weeks just watching very, you know, very rudimentary. You know, I, I don't – it's not like I get access to the film or anything, but they do – that he – Coach Gibson does a great job, always has, of being really masterful with run game, screen game, and he did that at a really high level for the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh and you can see there on your screen, like the first touchdown there was was a, was a run play, right? He does a really good job of controlling the jacks, controlling the cases, controlling the tempo uh, with young quarterbacks. But then you see in the second half, he kind of takes the training wheels off a little bit, right? And he's able to push vertical, right. you know, with a lot of these throws, and, and it really opened up their offense. And then Fayetteville, you know, they – I thought they were, I thought they were playing really well, especially offensively. Uh, until Cato got hurt, it was it was fun to watch them. It was kind of a different game plan, a different strategy, right? They were sending a lot of vertical stuff with Ings, and you know Ings is a nightmare. You know he always has been. If you put him in high motion, send him deep, he's either going to take two or he's going to win the one on one. It's it's really hard, you know, not to be outdone by Cam Solomon, who's got like ninety million touchdowns at this point. So fun arena football game. I mean, you know, just had it. At a very base level, it was exactly what it's designed to be, and touchdowns all over the board. Yeah, I mean, talk about it without without doubt. The Sharks, you know, didn't matter what hap- what happened, what response Fayetteville was given. It was just crisp, clean. Every yeah. possession was a score. They had no stops whatsoever. Uh, defensively, I don't think Fayetteville really just knew what to do. And quite frankly, I don't think Fayetteville knew how to penetrate the offensive line of Jacksonville. I loved what the pocket was looking like for Connor Blount. No pressures, nothing to worry about. It looked nothing like week one against West Texas in that first quarter where you see Connor scrambling. Like every highlight you watch of him throwing a pass, he has such a comfortable cushion to deliver his throws. That is so helpful for a young arena QB like that to kind of settle down and just look things through. Cato, 
not as much, but credit. Cato's got that athletic ability to where all he has to do is maneuver away. He can he can sidearm it. He can throw it off his off to the side if he wants, and kind of all around in different kind of angles. He's very flexible. Um, Connor is too, but I mean, look at that. That's gorgeous pocket just sets up. He is yeah. two to three yards just on that touchdown pass alone oh, down the field to George Smith on that one. One of the best plays of the day, without a doubt. Due to he is caught up. He has uh, very much progressed in such a quick manner. I have really been blown away at how Connor Bond's come to play, and that's huge for Sharks fans. They're going to – I mean, they've been wanting to – you know, Arvell Nelson last year, we didn't, you didn't know if he'd see him back. Having Connor come in, they took, a, they took a bit of a shot with him, and Gibson's found his guy. We were wondering. He pulled it off, Jim. Oh, yeah. Oh, of course, I guarantee Mason knows this too. Jacksonville has a history of if you don't perform as a QB – they want you gone <laughs> quick, period. Connor has come in and has just showed out all three games. Even the last week's loss to San Antonio, he showed out. In this game, there's a couple of routes in this game I watched that they were running vert, two verts, and they were wide open. Like, Fayetteville was nowhere near the guys. I'm like, where are the DBs of Fayetteville? They, there's no safety back there. This is not outdoor football. Like, what are you doing? And Connor's just sitting back there. Two step, three step. Look, he's sitting in the pocket. He can have a picnic back there. He can, or he's in. He was in North North Carolina. That's Bo Jangles territory. He can get himself a number two combo with, with <laughs> some biscuits. Um, that's what Connor was doing in that game uh, this past week, and that gives all the credit to the big hog mollies up front. They were protecting him. And one thing I noticed in this game, the line of scrimmage was being completely owned by Jacksonville. Jacksonville was dominating the whole line of scrimmage the entire game. That's yeah. why towards the, the beginning of the second half. You saw an offensive line for Fayetteville just could not stand toe-to-toe with Jacksonville because Renfro was in the backfield. Uh, Holiness was in the backfield. Uh, Gilbert was in the backfield. It was just causing havoc to Cato, and eventually Cato was getting sacked and made some bad decisions, and, of course, he went down with the injury. Then the backup came in, and it still it was the same, pro- the same progression of the defense, just getting in the backfield and just tormenting um, uh, Fayetteville. And when, you, when Jackson was getting the ball, it was when the game was out of hand, it was pitch and catch. Like they were having fun. Jordan Smith having fun. Solomon having fun. Um, I always mispronounce the guy's name, uh, but Jansen, uh, he was going off. Uh, it was a good game for Jacksonville. And like what Mason said in the, in, in the start of this thing, uh, Jacksonville starts three and one in this four game stretch. They're right in the mix. And you still got, you know, still got to play San Antonio again, still got to play Auburn again. But, this is a much better start than what Jacksonville did last year. Jacksonville was 0 4 last year. Uh, they couldn't they couldn't they couldn't get out of their own way. We had until Nelson came and then everything got situated. It's nice that Jacksonville has a quarterback that understands the game only three weeks into his career in the arena game. And based on the stats, he's currently number one in all the categories. So that tells one thing to me. Gibson's a hell of a coach, got this young guy in, and Jacksonville is rolling like they are right now they're only mm-hmm. one play away of being undefeated people are saying well san antonio's three no yeah san antonio's two plays away or three plays away of being zero and three shows uh, how good the top three is though that's that's yeah. what i take away from that and that's what i was about to go to is like i like i know we've had requests from people on our show so we need to start doing t-shirts into the muck like how we always <laughs> talk about the muck okay jacksonville right yeah. now jacksonville albany and San Antonio are not the muck teams. 
They are the top three teams in the league, and I think you're going to start seeing that, and eventually you're going to see the start of separation between those three teams. Um, Maybe so. That's just and, and this week against Orlando will clearly show where the two teams are. But in this game overall, the guy um, that I was really impressed in this game was uh, Jordan Smith. He was making catches like crazy, made a big catch at the end of the game. Um, but he basically gave Solomon his – like gave Solomon a chance to him shine. Because you know how when we were down uh, – Darian Townsend, then we were down McLean, Jax was like, okay, we need a number two now. He comes right in. And Solomon still declared number one, but Solomon can actually do work now knowing that he doesn't have, have to put the whole team on his back with Smith mm-hmm. showing out. So – and that gets all credit to Blunt too. He He's – what you, how you say, Zach, diversifying the portfolio. I, I like having multiple targets. It's easier if you if you have one guy, and credit, Darius Prince, I think, is the exception to the rule in this case. Of course. But generally, if you have one person you can focus in on it and say, do basically a Belichick and say, okay, who else is going to beat me? Because that that's what worries me if you get that. You need to have what, able to have targets that I think are on the same page with your quarterback mm-hmm. right away. Uh, Jordan Smith, and again, NAL stats, we always put an asterisk on it, but they have been getting better this year. I'll give that props to teams. They've been putting them a lot more accurate from the looks of it. Uh, finished leading the Sharks receiving court, 136 yards reception as well. Two touchdowns. Uh, Cameron Solomon had four, so that was the tops, but still broke the century mark. Mm-hmm. He had three receivers break the 50-yard mark, which I think is an excellent stat line for that core because you want to see that kind of spread out. Mm-hmm. But having two guys that break the century mark and you can't even protect or defend, um, fantastic. And, yeah, Smith, he's been progressing – much the same in the background as the weeks have gone by. He also had 10 tackles this week. Um, mm-hmm. That at least, or sorry, he had six tackles. Gorman had 10. I misread the stat sheet, but six tackles as well on the opposite side of the field too. Um, and I believe, nope, that's the wrong thing. I was reading a pass breakup, but that's not the case. But six tackles his own, 136 yards passing, uh, not too shabby of a day. And uh, right now, you know, <laughs> I think it's a, uh, Offense, anyone's game, just like you're seeing, and much like Mason pointed out, Iron Man's helping kind of, you know, whether it's getting tired, whether it's just kind of that slog of the game as it goes, it should open up more plays, more end of the uh, game type of crazy scenarios like that. Yeah, for sure. I think one thing, you know, not to make this a Jacksonville Sharks podcast, I know it doesn't bother Jim any, but we'll talk about Cato and company in a second. It's just yeah. got to get all those out of the way. First of all, we're having for the victory. For sure, for sure. <laughs> I, you know, I'm just excited to see the progression of Jacksonville and when they start, you know, what's going to happen as teams defend their style of play right now, right? Especially early in the games, you know, there are a lot of screens, a lot of run, a lot of jack control, stuff like that, which is awesome. Very effective for sure. Uh, I, I'm very excited to see what happens when when, che- when teams get out of, like you're seeing right there, that's his own coverage. We're getting the cloud stuff. We saw some busted sky. You know, trying to think back and remember at least San Antonio from the past and watching a little bit of the game last week as well, knowing they're typically a zone-based defense as well. What happens when teams are going to start running up and getting in their face, right? Starting to get hands on receivers, and now you're now you're throwing man-based throws instead of zone-based throws, and those are a little different, right? But I, what I do think, and where I think Jacksonville is going to have the advantage is nobody can cover Cameron Solomon man to man right now. I mean, right even now. even when they're trying, like there's a couple touchdowns he had where he, they were in man, and he had like six yards of separation. So, you know, it's kind of pick your poison right now. But, you know, I'm just curious to see that progression. I'm excited to see, right, when teams get up and start challenging him and play in less zone, kind of just what happens, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, better. That's the thing. One thing Fayetteville showed um, defensively that, like I said, they felt kind of lost a little bit, you know, both, mm -hmm. I think really both of them were going toe for toe, you know, pound for pound yeah. offensively, but eventually they just too much overwhelming at this point. And that's saying something when you have like a Trey long on the opposite side, you know, yeah. that's been able to contribute, you know, and last game against the Preds, they were able to get pressure. I was talking, we, talking with Jim in our, you know, game day session last week. I thought second half, they would turn up the heat. They couldn't turn up the heat. So without do, being able to do that and have the same formula against the, against the Predators, you yeah. saw what happened. A good QB, he's able to find his marks and just keep on going. And, you know, that's all the story showed. Also, of course, Rakeem Cato, which let's dive in on Rakeem Cato here. That That's great game. It's it's really a damn shame, though, when you have someone that has been playing as well as he has through a, almost two games now mm -hmm. go out with what looks to have been a severe lower leg to ankle injury uh, on the turf. You know, and they dealt with a few injuries. You know, Trey Long went out for a spell, came back in. Chris Page, obviously, having his own. But, you know, Rakeem Cato going out, that, that ended the Mustangs' chances without a doubt late in the third you know don dondre borrell you know i'll give him credit for stepping out there in backup role but he was not prepared uh the line definitely is more fit for cato's mobility burrell's not very well good at maneuvering the pocket with kind of the status of that offensive line in fayetteville and it really sank their game it was a shame to see because cato has been one of the best early st season stories in the national real league having what has already been looking like much improved play than he had last year in orlando Cato, in my opinion, again, this is only week three, night and day compared to last year. And I think the reason why is one man, that's Kendrick Gings. Um, Kendrick Gings has been his number one go-to receiver so far this season. And what Mason just mentioned just earlier earlier in the show is that no one can cover him right now. Uh, he's either one-on-one, -on -one, he's going to beat you one-on-one, -on -one, or he's going to take the short route and then beat you, miss a tackle, and run down the field. Uh, Kendrick Gings is the weapon in Fayetteville, and he's a fan of the show, and he's been on the show multiple times. Um, I think that's the main reason why you see Cato playing so so well now. It's because of Ings. And Chris Page, again, week one against Orlando, Chris Page showed out. Um, it's for Fayetteville, yes, last week, yeah, you, you lost – to Jacksonville, you were toe-to-toe -to -toe with Jacksonville in the first half, then stuff happened with the injuries, and Jacksonville pulled away. You're not that – you're honestly, right now, if it ended the day, the season ended the day, that Fayetteville versus San Antonio playoff game will be pretty freaking exciting to watch uh, because they're two explosive offenses. Um, just hopefully Cato is healthy enough where he if, if he misses a couple of weeks, it's good, so they have a chance to still stay in the mix. Um but in my opinion, how Fayetteville has played so far in these first two games, um, they have really impressed me as an organization. The broadcast quality, same, impressed me. Everything was good so far in Fayetteville. Um, it just stinks that, again, in this game that we love, one has to win, one has to lose, and this week was Fayetteville. But for Fayetteville fans, keep your chins up. You have a lot of problems in young stars. You have Kendrick Kings, who's going to be a stud throughout the year. Uh, if uh, the backup uh, gets some playing time, just throw the Ings. He'll be there. He'll help you. Just give it to Ings, all right? Uh, <laughs> that's your game plan next week. Um, but all, all other other guys on the team that I, I was surprised we didn't see a lot of Larry Beavers. I would expect we see a lot of him. We didn't see a yeah. lot of him. He did get a touchdown pass later on in this contest, mm -hmm. but I was very much feeling like they were kind of like, 
I would say incrementing him in. Um, and credit, this is something that I like that Fayetteville has done, at least Cato has done really well. Uh, you look at the stat sheet for for the Mustangs. They have, oh, double-checking here. They had nine targets that got a reception on mm-hmm. Sunday. So very much good at kind of spreading out the wealth. You know, James Summers only had one catch, which was surprising to me uh, on the stat sheet. You know, Larry Beaver's obviously newer, but, like, I understood that. But, I mean, overall, you know, mm-hmm. I think that, you're talking to the point though and you can elaborate that he's probably going to see more touches as the as these games go on correct because he's a to me he's a per, he's a great asset to their roster in terms of not just a receiver but overall as an iron man player we saw last season yeah. in orlando well i think and as the team gets better throughout the season if we they get healthy they have a lethal core with james summers Lair Beaver, Chris Page, and Kendrick Gings. I I guarantee if Mason was still playing quarterback, he's like, I want that receiving court. Like, geez. <laughs> um, um, for me, you watch this game, and it was just how, like Mason mentioned, it was toe-to-toe, and it's like they couldn't keep up with Jacksonville. It was eventually the extra points were coming back to bite them, and it just started rolling downhill to the, what happened to the end of the game. Uh, for it's just an interesting game because I was watching this game as a fan. Of course, as a fan, I'm aggravated and mad. It's like, what the heck's going on? I'm dropping f bombs. But I, when I watched the game again, and I started looking at things like, like man, Fayetteville was this close of getting that touchdown to for them to break the game open. Um, it was it it, can, it really came down to that very first possession in the second half where that pivotal turnover happened that really flipped the game on it to Jacksonville's side, but toe to toe with Jacksonville, it's pretty impressive. And especially what they did down in Orlando, uh, they're small things. Again, they have a good squad. Um, that one guy I was surprised. I didn't hear a lot of his name with was shy Hill, uh, the, on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Uh, he, he was really a weapon of Jacksonville last year, really didn't hear his name a lot. Um, in, in, against Jacksonville, this game. And I think that really affected Fayetteville because if you're not hearing Fayetteville defensive players' names, you're usually not having a good game. It means the office is doing all their work. But for Fayetteville, you're one and one, and you're telling me that you if you take one and one right now after two games, I will. Um, now you're going to the expansion of game next week between them and West West Texas. So we'll see how difference between those two teams are. But yeah, it's it's one loss. Uh, but I like how Fay- – I, I really am very impressed with what Fayetteville is right now. And, and again, there's still 12 more games in, this, 12 more games in the season for them. So, still a young season. Mm-hmm. Still only week three. Still a lot more football to be played. Mason, any other thoughts on uh, Fayetteville? Uh, maybe just kind of what you can go – maybe like the status moving forward. Say Cato's not in. How do you get a guy like, say, Burrell up to speed in, in even a week or if any short term that you can maybe give quick tips for? Yeah, it's hard. Uh, it just is, right? If you haven't played a lot of arena football and haven't physically taken a lot of snaps, it's just hard. You just do what you can. the The problem is everyone just says, "Hey, well, yeah, he'll be coaching and getting ready, you know, during practice and have all these." People don't realize once you get in the season, you don't have a lot of practice reps because guys like Kendrick King just got done running sixty five routes on Saturday and took thirty hits, like. He's yeah. going to be resting up to make sure that he can play at full speed on Saturday. So there's, it's, it's just hard, right? I think the the most the most you can do is game plan, right? You simplify it. You make easy high low reads. You don't do 
you know, the most complex stuff in the world where people are going to pop wide open because it doesn't matter if they pop wide open, your quarterback doesn't see it. You're not going to give the ball anyway. So make it simple, make it easy. Use your running game, use your screen game, control the box, control the game, slow it down. And uh, arena football is a crazy game. Just put yourself in it in the fourth quarter and you just never know what's going to happen. That's right. And Mace, I got one, just this is a, that you, you've played the game for many yeah. years. Here's a question. If you were in Fayetteville right now, especially after what you'd happened to Jacksonville and what you had did against Orlando, how much film do you look back at the last two games prepping for, let's say, against West Texas? Or do you just throw this film away and just concentrate on West Texas? Uh, I think it's a mix of both. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, you, you take what you can from it, you know, and then and then you move on like any game. I think the biggest thing an athlete craves is stability. You want to know exactly, you know, it, they say it's a 24-hour rule, right? You, you sulk for 24 if you lose or you celebrate for 24 if you win and then it's over, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think you just t- kind of take the film, take what happens here, take the good, take the bad, understand there's a lot of football left to play and move on and, and just do that, especially if you had a young quarterback come in the game and struggle like – you know, he knows he struggled. Everyone on the team knows he struggled. Like, you don't have to sit there and relive it on film for the next three days. Move on, right? And and, and right. create some positive momentum going into going to practice and going into game week and go out and play well. And, and what's a very winnable game at the end of the day? A loss, a loss, and you know, you come, you can come out of next week at at two and one, and you're going to be really happy as an expansion team for sure. Yeah. And they'll have a. It'll be a fun, fun matchup. They're going to go to West Texas. Uh, two, yeah. the two expansion teams visiting next week. Uh, Fayetteville yeah. though, going to have to get some things in order after we saw the Warbirds did kind of figure out themselves uh, the week prior over in Carolina. Yeah. So a little bit more interesting storyline than say week one. West Texas looks a little more imposing, and they get to play at home. So quick turnaround. Coach Gunnings has a bit of a challenge on his hands, but he'll have to get something sped up or we'll see the transaction wire pop. You never know. The NL is always infamous for being, yeah, well that too, the road trip also out to Odessa will be Mm -hmm. fascinating, but I mean, Hey, anything can happen in a week. And as we know, the NAL, anything's possible for a team, for a person joining last minute or Rakeem Cato might, might even be okay. He did kind of put out a Facebook post kind of, he wasn't implying it, but he left it very ominous as to his status on his injury so we will see how that goes um anything else he'll we'll see on friday when the injury report drops so very much keeping an eye on that story moving ahead i will say this about Fayetteville real quick and we'll move on i know but to to me right this is where you start seeing what organizations are going to be made of i know nothing about Fayetteville. i don't know that i don't i know nothing about what they're doing i'm just speaking in generalities right now sure it's a long road trip you're coming off a Sunday game. How how do the players get there? And what state do they get there? Are they fresh? That if are they fresh? Are they ready to play? That probably means they traveled pretty well. That probably means that they didn't cut corners and travel and expenses and making sure their players are refreshed versus, you know, you see some teams, you know, unfortunately in our league, maybe that that were expansion that are no longer around that. You know, maybe they started being pretty competitive, and then as they got through the season, all of a sudden they weren't quite as competitive. The toll of the season, especially this travels, it's a lot, right? And it just, I, to right. me, I love seeing these games because I like to see how organizations treat their players, right? And if the players come out fresh, ready to play, to me, that's a sign the organization's doing a great job in treating their players well. Where 
if they come out a little stagnant, maybe a little slow-legged, you know, maybe a, a guy or two doesn't play that you'd expect to play, probably it's probably a sign of, of something, you know, that, that probably should be addressed, I guess what I would say. Right, right. I mean, well, and, you know, I mean, everyone has their own way of getting about things. Credit, I'll point this out just because we remember last year. And, again, this was during a weird time with San Antonio's own history, but they, they had to do a 21-hour bus drive over to – Carolina, you know, they did get things fixed up, but that was one of those things like early out of the gate, they had to get that adjusted, but you but know, you're hundred percent right. Look at the difference yeah. from San Antonio where they started last year. If I'm not mistaken, they went through an ownership change kind of, you know, at, mm-hmm. at some point and then look how they finished the year. I mean, they were a totally different team just because, you know, the players are the players, man, they're professionals. They know how to play, but you have to treat them like professionals. And if you do, they're going to perform at a high level for you. Oh yeah. With, I think that Fayetteville, at least our opinion, is that the ownership of Fayetteville is indeed doing the best they can Good. can That's to awesome. provide the best stuff. So that is something we have That's the most faith in this week. You know, and now and that's great because to me as well, like you're talking, that leaves like coaching staff that lets them focus a little more. You don't have distractions on the side. Yeah. Same for players. You know, as long as you get out there and you can perform. And again, if they figure this out, you know, it should be a fun competitive game in West Texas that we'll have a great time analyzing later in the week. Um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, travel is a massive factor that does affect players readiness. It's a normal thing in arena to talk about that aspect. Cause it's not, it's not always, I would say hundred percent science, like bigger leagues, you know, it is, it is definitely its own facet of the game within the game. Thousand percent, thousand percent. <laughs> and I think Mason knows cause he's been on a few road trips. I've been, on both, <laughs> hey, I've been on both sides of it, fellas. I cannot tell you. Oh man, we'll have some awesome stories for you off camera. It's it's some fun stuff. <laughs> Not we'll, we'll talk after the after the show. <laughs> Keep that one noted. We'll go into the la- into the game of the week. Two games this week. Jumping you back a day on our recap, but still, it's uh it was a great way to lead off the week as the Gunslingers traveled to the Capital Region. It was about as advertised as you expected. Things were looking a little dicey for San Antonio early on early on in the second quarter. But sure enough, that Gunslinger's defense did basically a repeat of the story they had against Jacksonville. Had a 21-point turnaround, made things interesting. We saw, and Jim, you can correct me on this, I think it was five, six lead changes in the second half that led and resulted in the final possession at the buzzer. We had, we had two seconds on the clock. It was five. Five lead Thank changes. you. It was five or six. We, we talked about this post game with uh, actually the San Antonio crew that was following the game alongside with us. And uh, without a doubt, it came down to one play, basically two seconds on the clock. <laughs> you have Kali Rashad stands up, gets whacked up through the middle. Something you watch on replay. He got, he got basically really kind of clobbered in the middle, keeps his balance, turns the corner on really kind of an out route catches a touchdown, silences the crowd, everyone goes home. The arena died quickly on that broadcast. It went from it went from massive decibels to just complete silence, but I wouldn't have had it any other way. Obviously, one aspect of the finish we'll discuss in just a second, um, but Mason, I'll give you here uh, th- thoughts, on, thoughts initially on this contest. Obviously, two of the best teams in the NAL coming toe-to-toe, and it led up to what was advertised on Saturday night. Yeah, I, I mean, this is this is high-level football. It's high-level arena football, high-level quarterback play, high-level offense, high-level defense. You just saw a little bit of everything, and uh, that's what you want. That's what you want as a fan. That's what you want, even if you don't know the kind of the technical aspects of what they're looking at. You saw a little bit of everything, and uh, 
it's fun watching. Um, again, I'm watching the highlights here, and I was thinking back to the game because I was just enthralled by this game. You got to see, again, a little bit of everything, uh, a little bit of, you know, gamesmanship in between, a little bit of game management, a little bit of clock management, some high drama. Uh, it's just what you want, right? If every game was like this, we'd have, uh, you know, we'd be we'd be very, very happy as fans. So it was a fun game to watch. Two really good quarterbacks, by the way. I, yeah. I know, obviously, we know Arvell and we know his track record. Uh, you know, obviously, I'm getting to know Castronova a little bit more. I saw him a little bit last year and seeing him this year. The, the, from where, you know, two years ago I saw from where he came from to where he is now, he's a completely different player. Hats off to that young man. He's he's figured it out. He he has certainly continued to be one of the studs in this league. Yep. You know, and I mean, it, it was two of the best, two of arguably the best QBs in this league right now. Uh, in the fact that you also have Arvell Nelson on the other side, who, again, we we've talked about this does take some risks, had some plays not pan out for him, but one thing that's helped him is that he keeps at it, and that defense for the Gunslingers, like those upgrades that Fred Shaw and company made on the offseason with some top-tier guys, they have really panned out because that is the sec again, second straight game. They have been down two possessions, and they have swung it because of a defensive stop, turnovers, just basically saying we're going to settle down, we're going to do our thing, and we're going to get ourselves riding the ship really quick, and they did it. And that could have this game could have easily gotten out of hand at that point. It is hard to flip the script like that in this in this style of play. And you got to give props to Fred Shaw and company for getting those defensive stops when it mattered. And as I think Mason, I, I love I want I don't mean to let Jim have to sit on the sidelines a little more on this, but you were hinting at this. The clock management for that final drive has not been talked about enough. They killed, I believe it was about a minute ten on the clock. For an arena game, they they just slowly, methodically chipped their way down about forty yards, yeah, and got it to where it was within with one second and saying, "We get to decide how our fate is at the end of this game, not you, not you having to give a hail mary off a net, not you with a return. This is on us if we lose." Yeah, and that's all you can ask for. I mean, like I, you know, I joked about it earlier, but like that last drive would have made you know Jay Gruden proud. Like it's. That is old school AFL arena football that 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 he kind of conducted there. Uh, hats off to Coach Shaw. That that was that was impressive. I knew when uh, you know he's done it a couple games now. Crap, he did it right before half of this game too. They scored in the yeah. last possession. Yeah, and flipped the possessions. This game's all about possessions. And when he got the ball back, uh, you know, within striking distance of a touchdown, uh, I think they were down four, if I'm not mistaken, with a little mm -hmm. over three minutes left. You know, it's right at that point where it's like, you know, what's what's he going to do? And then he throws a screen and then another screen. And I, I even think the announcers were like, kind of what's going on? But it was it was picture perfect because if you, you start rolling those clocks and you get inside one minute, if you have the ball inside one minute with under, you know, six points to score, mm -hmm. that, that's what you want, right? And you don't want to score too much time because at the end of the day, if you're going to lose, at least you're going to lose with the ball. You, did, you didn't right. lose by by them doing another thing because at the end of the day, this game is designed to score, right? It's not like regular football. You're expected to score. You're more or less expected to, you know, hold serve, if you will. So if you have the ball last, I'd rather run the clock out and have the ball last where I'm supposed to score than score with 30 seconds left and, you know, they get the ball back. It happened last year. You know, I, I go back to last year, but it happened last I, I saw it. Myself last year in San Antonio, they they scored too early. And, you know, we got the ball back with, I think, 20-something seconds left, and it was just enough time. Like, 
That's just what arena football is designed for. You're designed to score. So you want to have the ball last. And I thought it was absolutely masterful uh, the way they did it. And hats off. That's how arena football is supposed to be played. So really, really, really well done by them. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, here's the other thing that I think that was great about that moment is now with, this is something with the Nets. And I bring this up. We haven't seen it really done too much. There's been one or two good plays off the Nets for rebounding passes yeah. this year. Uh, funny enough, the Gunslingers, Cleo Rashad, had the best highlight the previous week against Jacksonville for this. But if you give the ball back to Albany with maybe like five seconds, you know, maybe you get a, maybe you get a kickoff return. The returner, if it's in play, takes a knee um, or it goes outside the underneath the end zone. Like a lot of these have been doing this year, yeah. you know, or as you've been seeing with Drew Pearson, he pops it up. Well, okay. You start off with some time. Now you just throw a hail Mary and you hope to God, someone comes down with it. And that's relying on that somebody out jumping and out maneuvering Darius mm -hmm. Prince, even at 75% in this contest mm -hmm. to come down with the ball. That's a hard ask. Yeah. Burnett's a tall guy. I bet he would definitely challenge him yeah. because he does play those two ways, but that is still a tall order for him or or Arthur Hobbs or those guys, if you get that shot. So that's also what's beautiful. Yeah. One second, that's it. Sorry, bye-bye, see you later. No Castronova, no company over there. We get to call game. Tough luck. And to take you down the rabbit hole a little bit, you got, you got me fired up, but let's go down the rabbit hole a little bit for a second here. Okay, put your coaching hat on. Because yeah. they're up by four, right? Albany's up by four. San Antonio scores. Imagine there's 12 seconds on the clock, okay? Oh, God. You're up by two. What do you do? You do you kick it? Do you go for two? You probably kick it, right? Mm -hmm. To make it a three-point game. It's arena football. The field's 50 yards long with rebound net. So you're stuck with a choice, right? Do I either kick it to a really dynamic returner for Albany? He's already returned one for a touchdown, right? Do I try to kick one off the net? Even if he doesn't take it back for a touchdown, you're probably at least somewhat close to field goal range. Do you kick it out of bounds? Well, now there's the problem because now it's one point for the team. Now you're only up by two. A field goal loses it for you, right? On top of it, like you said, a Hail Mary, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I probably should know this, but I don't know the exact NAO rules, but I know that the rebound nets back in the day in the AFL where if you threw the ball off the net, all pass interference penalties were gone. They were null and void. You could do whatever you want. I will, so I have the rule set with me. I have the What's rule that? set with me, and I'm going to pull that back up while we're on this, and I'll yeah. pull that at the end. But I am 90% sure that rule did translate over when they added the nets. Because here's the thing. It comes off the nets. In the old game, it's out of bounds. So you're pretty much saying, all right, you yeah. got the assist. Now everyone should be vying for the ball. There's no trying to pull back shoulders or anything. Yeah. I'm 90% sure. I'll pull this up before we are done recording, so you'll all hear the confirm on this. Yeah. But – I, I do remember that was the AFL rule back yeah. you know, at least last their last season, 2019. You could go for it, you know, yeah. well, screw Honestly, it. It's a net. It's all fair game. Shark well, feeding frenzy. That, that's the last play you work on. Like you take a drop, you send everyone to the right side of the net. You call WWF and you send your fullback out there and you throw it high off the net and you just turn it into a big wrestling match. Mm -hmm. And you know, you have one guy standing there where everyone else is trying to take people out. Like it's a hard play to defend, especially when you're playing defense and your back is to the net. When everyone else is running to the net, it's just a hard play to defend. So I didn't mean to cut you off, Jim. I just, you know, no, I was going about that in the game situation. It's, it's, I was, was, gonna, I was just going to say, uh, do they even throw flags on Hail Marys? <laughs> even mean, in the out, even in an outdoor yeah, game. To be fair, <laughs> to be fair on that, I was yeah, like, well, enough. if it's not Aaron Rodgers throwing the Hail Mary, you definitely there's no flag going to be thrown. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I was just fair saying. Enough. 
I mean, that's the uh, other side of the coin. I'd probably be losing it too if they threw a flag <laughs> in a Hail Mary scenario like that. Get one um, more play. <laughs> I think I think the NFL is supposed to hold their flag in that type of scenario. Generally, um, they try to. Yeah. yeah. Unless it's completely blatant, but then again, um, there's a lot of questionable situations for that outdoor game. Uh, one thing I liked about this game uh, up in Albany is that it both teams went blow for blow, but San Antonio did something that only two other teams have done, and that's beat Albany, and that's Carolina and Jacksonville. What San Antonio did is that they answered every uh, every touchdown that Albany did. And they also did not kill themselves with stupid penalties. You see every team Orlando was holding offsides, high motion, uh, jack out of the box, illegal defense all last week. It was Orlando played a terrible game and they were shooting themselves in their foot. You don't do that when you play Albany. San Antonio did not do that. I think they had maybe two two penalties, and I think it was offsides and a holding, but that was in the first half. Also, one thing I noticed in this game is Arvell Nelson had his one blemish that he always does every game. He throws that one interception like, Arvell, what are you doing? He did that in the first quarter. He got that out of his system in the first quarter. <laughs> when he did that, he, was, he, was, he, he wasn't perfect, but Arvell, the rest of the game was – as equal as Sam Castronova the entire game. Like, Albany could not stop Nelson, and San Antonio could not stop Sam Castronova, and it was good. And also, you saw the, the battle between Kyle Rashad and Darius Prince. Those two guys were both showing out both sides. And you got Damian, um, you got Wade, and you had Phil Barnett that were shining. Um, but one of the things that really changed the, the, the narrative in this game, and I mentioned it in 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 the uh, game day was whose offensive line slash defensive line wins the battle will win this game. And I looked at, I watched the game again. I watched off. I like to watch the linemen. I'll call it a draw. No, no side of the ball won this dang game because either a, the offensive side of of, San Antonio was winning the ball. And then when you flipped on the other side field, Albany's offense, as I was doing, it's like the defense weren't, you know, doing anything. But there were plays during the game where you go, yeah, I can see where San Antonio made adjustments. I can see where Albany made adjustments to counteract the line of scrimmage battle because it was just a, a the muck, basically. It was just hog mollies <laughs> and, and the line of scrimmage not winning the battles. But when you have quarterbacks like Sam Castronova and, and Nelson who are mobile, who can get out of the pocket, who have, a, who have accurate arms, that helps an offensive line, especially in the Ironman game, to really just control their self. While when they're on defense, they can't really go 100% because they're, you know, conserving for their quarterback. And that's one thing I've noticed in the Ironman game over the last two years. But one, one of the key plays in this game was before the controversy of this game was a third and nine where it was getting loud and it was getting crazy in the building. And the whole and it was, San Antonio had the ball, and the offensive line just opened up, and Nelson had a 13-yard run, no one around him. And I was watching the game, and I'm like, how does Albany allow that hole open up that big, and let Arvell just walk into the end zone? When that happened, that see, oh, there's a highlight right there. Just walks into the end zone, clear 13 yards, like 
that was a game changer right there because San Antonio went down or Albany got the ball, went down and scored. But that was a crucial 39 that Albany usually makes that play and it's turnover on downs and they get the ball back. That never happened in the second half. San Antonio went blow for blow with Albany and went toe-to-toe with them where very few teams can. And that's all the credit to the man on the sideline and, and Coach Shaw, who's been reposting a lot of our posts on social media because <laughs> we gave him bulletin board material in preseason. And I, I and Coach Shaw, I'm going to just say – um, that's Mason's fault, not mine. Or is that? Oh, <laughs> wow. No, it, fair, no, enough, it, fair enough. <laughs> um, but overall, uh, I'm like, when this game ended, I'm like, I can't wait to these two teams face in San Antonio because that could literally be the game of who gets the number one seed this year in the playoffs. It could come down in that game again. Um, this was a highly entertaining game with the stars of this league shining. And it was pretty much a clean game throughout the game until the the, the controversial ending um, that happened. But still, yeah, I think these are two juggernaut teams in our league. Yeah, and this gonna... is only the first of two battles. Possibly three battles, but right now only the first two battles. But, yeah, it's a good game. But, again, San Antonio won this game uh, by two points. Uh, we had we were friends with the broadcast crew of San Antonio. Uh, we were discussing this on uh, <laughs> our Discord page. The link's in our description. Uh, San Antonio's been fighting fire to fire. So they won one point week one. Week two, they won <laughs> week two. So why not just double or nothing win by two the next game? <laughs> so uh, basically they doubled up their winning total to this game. So. But overall, it was a good a good win for San Antonio. But again, it's Albany. They got with Carolina next week. I feel bad for Carolina next week if that is the game. Um, Albany, yeah, they have a man. They're, they're going to be on the mission. But for San Antonio, a very impressive win uh, on in, in this game. I did pick Albany to win this one, so I get another L on my uh, pick them. Um, but again, yes, yes, Travis Shaw, you can, you know. You can throw the stuff in our face because we love it uh, when we're wrong. Um, but, yeah, 3-0, good start. And here's a fun fact. So I guarantee Mason may not know this fact, and I guarantee Zach may not know this fact. Here's a fun fact. Every team who has started 3-0 in the National Arena League has made the playoffs 100% of the time. Oh, that's a good finish. That's a fun, fun fact. fact. So 3-0 means you're in in history of the NAL. I'll do it. For the playoffs. So no pressure, San Antonio. <laughs> No worries, right? Yeah. Keep it going. Uh, we do got to talk about, of course, as you hinted at, the one instance that has been, I think, a little bit of a hot-button debate in our circles, the jack-out-of-the-box-slash-interception review at the end of this contest, the one that really allowed, to at least allowed San Antonio to get a few more downs to then try with one second left. And, you know, it's already in the highlights. If you're actually seeing this on YouTube, you can kind of see what we're talking about right now. So... Here's the scene. It is currently third and 10, fourth quarter, 15 seconds on the clock. You have Arvell Nelson take the snap at the seven yard or six yard line. It looks like, wait, no, sorry, the 11 yard line. I have space in my words. The 11 yard line on Albany's side of the field. Again, there's two more downs here, but Arvell drops back to pass. He fires one into the back left corner of the end zone. And you see Trayvon Shorts come back in coverage who is playing at the time the jack linebacker position you have two defenders going for the ball also i believe philip barnett is who the target there is mm-hmm. chaos ensues in the corner barnett doesn't come down with it but shorts comes out of the pile 
with the football. And at the time, this was called incomplete for the pass. Shorts does come up, says that they need to challenge it and look at this review. It goes to review to look at the interception call. Now, credit, if this goes turned over, game's over. Albany gets to take a knee. We go home. The Empire are going to go away with their own 2-0 streak out of the gate. However, replay comes back. They say it was an interception, which, of course, gets the crowd rowdy. But... It's an illegal defense. Jack out of the box call, which means five-yard penalty, automatic first down. And a lot of people, including uh, Mr. Shorts as well, have had their own mentions on this. And I think a lot of people have two prongs on this. One, is it Jack out of the box? Two, why did you review Jack out of the box if the challenge was for an interception? I'll go with that first part, and then I'll let Jim and Mason talk about the Jack out of the box. Here's the deal. The NAL with this rule set, you can look at everything in a replay it's not just the interception they can look at all aspects all penalty levels all challenge levels they are allowed to do that so yes they did look at the interception it was a pick off the wall it was a great pick because i'll tell you if, if he's not if he's not labeled as jack out of the box that's an amazing interception for shorts in terms of arena this game's over and we're gonna be talking about that as the end final play but truth be told he at least to us our opinion it's fringe but it does look like to us and i'll let jim and mason explain that it was out of the box and they are allowed to look at that that is allowed in the nal rule set that they can review and check all these aspects you got to give credit to those refs they did a good job checking all signs of this and looking at all parts of this play jim mason i'll let you two get the discussion going on this what do you see that puts it as instituting a jack out of the box on this play for this play, how the rule of the Jack out of the box, where, where Schwartz is at right there on the eight-yard line, and Jack can only go sideline to sideline when he's covering. Exactly what happened to Jacksonville game with Jensen, um, or Jensen getting a flag for Jack out of the box was a completely clean play. He went sideline, sideline, got flagged for it. That's weird. But in this, it goes sideline, sideline. So basically for wall to wall is what Schwartz is supposed to do. Right when I think the ref threw the, when they did the review on this, let me zoom it in. Watch shorts. Right when the ball snapped, his first indication is he's already backpedaling. He's already already in his backpedaling position. That right there, you're in violation of a jack out box because the jack is only supposed to go side to side. Yes, I, you. Well, well, here's the thing. Right there, he's not illegal. You're allowed to go sideline to sideline as long as you're within five yards. The well, umpire is standing there at the six-yard line. You can stay. You can do whatever you want as long as you're not deeper than the umpire when the quarterback has the ball in the pocket in his hand. All right. Okay. But I'm with still, you. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's, still yeah, side no, no. it's still side to side. But what I think when they did the review of this play, they looked at – look how he's positioned. A lot of Jack linebackers are not positioned that way. They're usually still – their back is still – you know, towards the defense. He's completely vert and already turning. He's already selling that he's turning. So when the umpire sees him right there, the linesman's right there looking at him, you're already turning for that. And look at Nelson. Nelson still has the football right here. And he still has – and the football still – Nelson still has the football and Schwartz is clearly past the, the ref. Yeah. That's illegal. That's illegal defense. And when the ball was thrown – Yes, it was a good interception. It was a good catch, but he was already backpedaling. 
a lot of referees, what I've noticed, I've watched a couple of the games, especially the one in Jacksonville a couple of weeks ago. They threw the flag on, I think it was um, McLean for uh, out of the box. I rewatched the video. It's because McLean's first step was he backpedaled. He didn't go sideways. And they threw the flag because he went backwards. Um, again, Shorts did this. And what's very fun, this is why I want to, if you have a chance to watch the, the live stream again, ladies and gentlemen, go watch the first interception for Nelson to Traylon Shorts. Nelson, you can hear Nelson yell at the referee. He goes, the guy is out of the box. Stop, like throw the flag. Nelson was pointing every time. Yeah, during the game, they scored a touchdown. Nelson, you hear the Nelson run by the referee. He's still out of the freaking box. Like, do your job. And then they threw the flag this time. Like, the referees were getting, like, bit, uh, they were getting yelled at by Nelson the whole entire game. Because Nelson knew, like, Trayvon is a good athlete. We, the good guy is a stud, but he's just jumping too early. Yeah. And Nelson's like, dude, he is going too early. He happened, the, Trayvon's first interception, he was clearly out of the box, they didn't call it. He almost had a drop interception thing in the second quarter that he was out of the box, they didn't call it. Nelson was getting aggravated, and then this happened. I didn't. I don't think I have it on the highlight. When Nelson threw the pick, he runs to the referee and goes, "What? What the heck?" Again, like then the flag happened. Now the question we got on our Discord that was, it was hard to try to re-answer this on Discord. Why is it? Why are they challenging the jack out of the box? In NAL rules, a referee can look at any aspect of the play while it's being challenged. If someone challenges, oh, it's an interception and challenge it. That means everything can be reviewed, including a jack out of the box, illegal defense, whatever. That's why they got it. Now, if it wasn't challenged, like let's just say it was incomplete and, and Albany didn't challenge it, they never would have found the illegal defense. The only reason why it popped up is because the referees had to look at every aspect of the play to see if it was catch. It was a catch, but they got shorts off of a jack out of the box. And a lot of Albany fans are mad about this, but watch the entire game and watch the interaction between Nelson and the quarter and the referees the whole entire game because Nelson was pointing out the whole entire game about shorts being out of the box. And when they finally get the call and got it right, it's because Mason couldn't argue with this or agree with me. Quarterbacks, when they they start telling the refs, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this, the referee will go, hey, wait a minute. The quarterback's been telling me this whole entire game. Maybe it's right. And then the review showed it, and bam. Like, I, I guarantee that was the, the Nelson nagging the refs the whole entire game could have resulted in why they looked at it, like, the, within the challenge. It's like, oh, this sparks them in their head. Yes, it was a big play, determined the game, but it was a right call by the refs. Yes, sometimes right calls do hurt people, fan bases. We've been on both ends of it, all of us as fans. In this sport, NBA, hockey, whatever it's happened. In this case, it was a good call at the right time because it was a big game to determine the game. What happens if it was a good a no call that resulted in an Albany win? I guarantee San Antonio fans would be right now. Where was the jack out of the box penalty? It would be the same way. But, yes, it was a great call. I've had confirmation now by three people, now four because Mason's here, um, that it was, a right, it was a right call situation. And I'm just saying to the Albany fans, Go rewatch the game. I know it's going to be hard for you guys to watch the game. Watch Nelson's interaction with the referee throughout the game on certain plays when you're within the 10-yard, the red zone, or the blue zone. I've heard they, Albany calls it the blue zone, which I think is the red zone. Um, 
that's where, where where the linebacker can you know has more room. Nelson's like, watch, he's leaving the box way too early, and he's already breaking into coverage way too early. And as the game progresses, you can hear it on the stream. It's pretty blatant. Nelson was not happy most of the game because of it. And it's just that at the climax of the game is when it was called. And if I was an Albany fan, I'd be pissed that I lost on the play like that. But at the same time, to get this game and, and make this game what it is, you have to stay firm on the rules. And it was a good call at the right time um, for the game. So, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. done um, bickering. I got my point across. <laughs> Here's what's going on, right? So, so if you take if you take it back to the top, right, of that, and I don't know how much control you have of it, Jim, whatever. But I got throughout the, the game, right, a little backstory, right? Earlier in the game, you were talking about how Arvell ran for a 13-yard touchdown untouched, right? Mm -hmm. It's because of this play, right? So when teams get in the red zone, right, we're talking close to the goal line, and we're in we're in they're in trips formation, meaning three receivers are on one side of the one side of the formation. There are a lot of defenses, a lot of jacks, including Trayvon. He's really good at it. You will literally look, he's doing it right there. You can see and they actually score a touchdown because Arvell throws it up. On the snap, you will physically turn your back to the wall and wait and put – they call it put your foot in the bucket, right? So they you turn your back to the wall and you get as deep as you possibly can without being illegal. And as soon as the quarterback throws, tries to throw it over your head to that back corner, you're going to take off and go try to pick it off because that is the most common way. He even does it right there. Look at all the red zone plays in three-by. Trayvon is – when I say three-by, meaning trips. Trayvon is always going to turn – put his foot in the bucket and get ready to run to that back corner because that is one of the most common ways to score mm-hmm. in the red zone. You put a guy in fast in high motion or a big guy and you run him behind the jack. Look, there he is again. You can see it right there. That's a great look at it. Mm-hmm. And he, you drop it in behind him, right? So what jacks are taught is scoot up a little bit, right? Because the rule is you can't get deeper than five yards. You can't get deeper than the umpire. So look where he is right there. He's in about two and a half yards. He's putting his mm-hmm. foot in the bucket and he's ready to run back and try to pick that off. He's going to try to literally go ahead and position himself sideways and run back to guard that throw that Sam just threw right there. You're you're almost describing yeah. like it's uh you're sorry to interrupt. You're almost describing like it's almost like a track sprinter. You know, got to get that exactly right foot planted. Because no matter how tall you are, a good quarterback is going to throw it over your head. Doesn't matter if you're 9 feet tall. He's going to throw it over your head. So, what Trayvon's doing is he's using his speed as an advantage instead. He's going to put his foot right on, right at five yards, right on the umpire. And as soon as the quarterback breaks his hands to go throw, he's going to break and go try to beat the ball there. The first one that we saw Rashad catch, he didn't get to because Arvell threw it up the field a little bit more, right? Mm-hmm. On this one, you can tell, I think it was Barnett that they were trying to get across there. They were trying to do the same thing. Trayvon got a better jump, right, to get to it. The problem was if you slow it down, like a lot of good jacks, he's pushing the envelope. Right, mm-hmm. and he's timing up when Arvell breaks his hand. However, the rule is when the ball leaves the quarterback's hand. Right, that's usually the trigger is hey, when the quarterback right releases the ball from his front hand to throw, they go because it's so quick that you can't mm-hmm. compute that. But when it's slowed down in slow mo, you become illegal because you're moving deeper than five when the ball is is you know getting through its release point, if you will. So it's yeah, a, it's yeah. a very very technical thing, and I'm going to be honest. Trayvon is as good as there is at it, and he's a problem. That's why he's such a good jack. Oh because yeah, he'll he do is. That Ten times, <laughs> and he'll get away with nine of them. 
But the problem is he didn't get away with that one. And I and I looked at it. We talked about it off camera. I also thought it was illegal. I thought he was a half a yard too deep, but a half a yard too deep is too deep. And uh, I thought he was illegal because of that. And it, and it wasn't anything he did wrong. It's the way he plays the game. And it's why it makes him so good. It just the replay caught him on that one. It just is what it is. In my yeah. opinion. That, that's the thing. You if if you don't have that replay, Look honestly, that. if he get, if he gets a clean pick and the sky judge in that arena doesn't maybe make yeah. a call there, we could be talking about this complete opposite. Because again, yeah. it was a good pick, but like that is a very fringe. Like he's right on that threshold of a line. I think of it like uh, soccer with the uh, with the offsides calls. You got to be basically pushing that limit mm-hmm. at that position all the time. But you can get burned if you just get over that line, and that. That review system definitely burned him right there. Uh, yeah. As much as, you know, I know he's upset. He and others yeah. are upset, but that that looks like the right call to yeah. several other people that have done analysis. That is kind of what we've gotten with it, is that but, looks like the right call. Mason, as a former yeah. quarterback, um, as a quarterback, do you point out defenses to referees about, hey, the, watch this guy, he's not doing this? Oh, or, a thousand percent. Yeah. Does that get to – I would be that, shocked if he didn't. But, but, does that, but does that get to referees at the end of the game or are they like, wait a minute, he didn't mention this. Let me keep an eye on it. I mean, I would like to think so. I mean, I, you well, know, I guess you have to I, I guarantee if your name was Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, yeah. yeah <laughs> like, I, mean, yeah. I, I would like to Black. think that, you know, I'm persistent enough that eventually yeah. that they'll they'll listen to me eventually. I also played for so long. I'm so old. I knew a lot of the White Hats by the end. So mm-hmm. I'd be able to be like, yeah, come on, he's illegal. My favorite thing to do was, you know, the Jacks that I played against will, will attest to this. Like in practice or even anything, I would just start yelling out, Jack's illegal when he was mm-hmm. perfectly legal before the snap and make him really self-conscious just to kind of slow him down. Never worked, but it was fun to do anyway. But 100%. Mm-hmm. The point is, you're in the ref's ear all day if you think – if there's any way you can get an advantage at all. Like on that one, I would, I'd be yelling that that Haig didn't have enough daylight between the Mac and the D-line. I'd be yelling that the DN's too wide. He's not covering the, the tack. You're always mm-hmm. looking for something. Mm-hmm. There's so many rules you're always looking for calls, and then you just hope when you need one, you get one, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> For for overall, besides that play, Shorts played a hell of a game. For sure. Um, He's I, good. I, I, He's really good. Last week against good. Orlando, he was causing havoc. He is – he uh, – we've mentioned him before last, last year, how when he got back to Albany, Albany was a completely different team. Yeah. Uh, when they were, I think, were four and four – then he got there. Then they finished the season like five and one or something like that. Like Albany was a completely different beast. Um, it's just this. Ha- there's one thing about this freaking sport that we love. There's always one controversial play, mm-hmm. and the biggest game always happens in the biggest games of the year. Is always that controversial play in the biggest game of the year that makes them the most noise. Yeah. Um, but overall, like again, yes, Albany won. Uh, um, San Antonio won this game by two points, and. Honestly, I, I want to get let's, let's get to week seven. Uh, I want to see round two of this game already. I really do um, because I think me and Zach said this in, pre, in the preseason that this is first of three matchups between these two teams. We think these two teams are going to be playing for a championship, and it depends on where it's going to be held. Is it going to be held in San Antonio or is it going to be held in uh, Albany? So there's there's a lot of things that also, besides that, things that we can point out in this game that – uh, really, you know, they're standouts in this game. Yeah. Um, one thing that which very surprised, uh, not really surprising, is that Drew Pearson really was a no factor in kicking. 
the kicking game was odd for Albany this time around because no oh. Roscoe was there and you got a young guy who got his first extra point. But one thing I noticed is that the extra points came back and bit Albany a little bit. So a little small things there. Um, but one thing I did enjoy about this game, honestly, was Darius Prince. I don't care what people say, what that man is. He is the best receiver in this game, and he proves it each and every week that he is the best receiver in this game. Um, give him the GOAT mask. Give him the GOAT status. That dude, no matter whoever's covering, Marvin Ross, um, Kyler Rashad, anybody, like Kenny Veal, Misha Robinson. We can go back to Bobby Wagner days and the, AF, the original AFL. He, he owns him. Um I'm just each each and every week I get more and more impressed by Darius Prince how he puts the team on his back to win this game because when they needed a big play this week against San Antonio number six was on the other end of the football and again two point game exciting matchup Albany's one and one yes San Antonio won but you still got Darius Prince you still got San Castronova you still got a squad like rebound Carol like I said earlier I feel bad for Carolina. I really do, because I think Albany is going to go in there with a mission this week. And, like, you know, we're going to get this L off our, you know, off our mind and go out fresh and strong in week uh, three, four. Dang, I almost said week two. So we're going back in time. But, yeah, again, each and every week, I want to say this again, each and every week, I'm more and more impressed by Darius Prince. I really am. That dude is a beast. Sorry, I'm done on flabbergasting over it. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's hard to not be. Um, And, again, I, I think for if you're the empire, you got to kind of keep an eye out for the status on him because, you know, I think to me, that's something that they haven't been able to do as much this year in my eyes is really find that number two. Um, you know, I know Hollis has had a little involvement. Markel Wade does, but it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like it was as involved. You know, you don't have a Cameron Solomon, Jordan Smith performance this past week. You don't have a, Philip Barnett usually slash Khalil Rashad performance this week. It really was more Darius Prince and then kind of every now and then you'd find a pass. So that that's something, you know, the more this goes, if you keep seeing him get banged up, which you don't want that to happen, obviously it still can. But the way he was hobbled at the ankle, that does kind of concern me. Prince can grade it out, but I think that's more of an incentive again to kind of go back to pack, practice and go, okay, guys, we need to get a few more bodies involved here you know, in this passing game. So we don't have to get our main MVP, our MVP receiver bashed every game the way he was um, as well. So mm-hmm. I keep that in mind. I also got to say my own praises for Khalil Rashad, because again, mm-hmm. rewatching that last play of the game, I didn't pay attention to his route, but kind of seeing it leading in. I mean, shorts, talk about shorts. He made sure he got as much of a hit as he could to chip him. And I mm-hmm. thought any any average receiver would have fallen down and Arvell Nelson maybe doesn't find a person to pass to, and you get a sack there on a coverage sack. And Rashad had the core strength to stay up, flip himself around for an out route and get some space separated to where he could get that completion at the end zone. So that was impressive. He was also impressive all throughout this game too. He's been even possibly better than last year in my eyes. I think this was actually hinted to us um, after the game, we were talking with the, some of the folks from SA and he's taking martial arts to help with some of his core strength, um, which is impressive as well, just to kind of build upon himself from last year. And you can see it in some of these catches, you know, that one in particular, I think if you don't have that training and that extra bit onto him, he does fall down, but that takes a little bit extra to kind of keep your balance and move. 
Um, but definitely worth the mention. Albany, still one of the best teams in the league, but I do think you got to you got to shake this off and go in. Carolina is not it's not exactly the same team, but Malik Henry showed 2 weeks ago that, you know, he can guide this team very well. So you can't you can't have a mental hiccup 2 weeks in a row and get behind as fast as you can because the Cobras would love to get a game up after losing such a such a close contest week 1 to San Antonio. So, yeah. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> not not as what to really say. I, <laughs> yeah. I think that about no, sums, right. sums up. You're right. <laughs> I, bantered, I, I bantered long enough in this episode. <laughs> I will and say I think, this. If it's any consolation, Albany fans, if you feel really bad about the jack out of the box, go look at the game win and play against San Antonio. He was out of the box again. He was out of the box again. So, you know, it whatever. It all comes out in the wash. Bro, you're right. Incredible, incredible individual play by by Rashad. Incredible individual play individual play by Ravel to keep that yep. alive, keep his eyes downfield, not freak out. Sometimes it's really hard to stay in the pocket when nobody's open for that long. So uh two really, really good football teams there and two really good quarterbacks. It was really fun, really fun to watch. Absolutely. Well, and with that, we will bid you adieu for our rebound episode here for week three. We're going to move on down the line. Week four is coming on up. We'll be having a new episode out, of course, this Friday for you later on with a special guest in tow. Going to hold that one for a second because, you know, might not build up a bit of the uh, excitement for who's coming on. We'll reveal that later this week. But um, just to reiterate again, new week of football. Mustangs going to the Warbirds, and then Sunday is a two-parter slate with the Empire going to the Cobras. Predators coming off a bye week and looking to find some way to right the ship as they will go to Jacksonville. That should be a pretty crowded game with those two fan bases kind of moving about. They've been doing a really good job getting those two involved and getting a rivalry built up between them the last three years. So fun game. I think it'll be on television for that and on YouTube. But until then, I'm Zach Kyleman. I got, of course, the MVP himself, Mason Espinoza, and, of course, my show MVP here and Jim Renier over here. We're signing off. Have a good one, guys. See you in the game day episode, episode 98, this Friday. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. Covering all your favorite parts of the 50-yard fight, this is the Inside the Walls podcast with Zach Kyleman and Jim Renier.